Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Happy Buildings Make More Money podcast on the Rosenberg and Estes Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Lindenbaum. I've been a real estate litigator, deal maker, investor in New York City and New Jersey for approximately 20 years. I'm a member of Rosenberg and Estes PC in New York, which is a full service real estate law firm with about 90 attorneys across various departments and disciplines practicing all areas of law directly involving or tangentially related to real estate. On this podcast, we introduce you to some key players in the industry that I have met and have had the privilege of representing over the years. We talk with our guests about how they first got started in real estate and how they charted a path in this business. And my hope is that my guests will agree that a rich and trusted relationship between attorney and client is a key piece of the puzzle to achieving success. Uh, if you haven't checked out my prior episodes yet, I encourage you to do that. My first two guests, Brian Milberg of Cytex Group and Patricia Dunphy of Rockrose Development are both current clients that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and my third guest, uh, Dan Fasulo, uh, he's a career real estate data and prop tech expert, a client and a, a friend from undergraduate whose love for real estate spawned from some unlikely sources just like mine did. Uh, definitely worthwhile listens uh, as I'm sure today's episode will be. Uh, my guest today is with us. Uh, is another great self-made success story. Uh, Ryan Goldstein, who's the principal of Invel Capital, has been active in real estate for more than 10 years. Uh, Ryan holds a BA in real estate development from Baruch School of Business and an MBA in corporate finance from New York uh, NYU's Stern School of Business. Uh, today, Ryan leads Invel's uh, capital advisory platform and is its chief deal sourcer underwriter and head of investor relations with a focus on multifamily acquisitions in New York, New Jersey, and beyond. Uh, but it was Ryan's first job out of graduate school as a third-party property manager at Safeguard Realty Management when we first met. Uh, Safeguard is, was my very first client at Rosenberg and Estes in 2013 when I came here, and we continue to work closely together this day. Uh, and I credit Ryan and Safeguard with a few key critical developments in my skills and development as a real estate attorney, uh, which is why I wanted to have him on the podcast uh, today to, to take a uh, walk down memory lane and, and to highlight his excellent accomplishments at, uh, at Invel too. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Adam. How are you? I'm wonderful. I, I, I love the platform. I, I watched the Rock Rose uh, podcast, really enjoyed it. I think they're couldn't be a better guy kind of bringing this discourse to the uh, to the industry as a lawyer and, an, and a business person and deal maker. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I it's really nice to hear you say that I, I was able to help in some small way. You've probably helped me in more ways and in more situations than you realize. Um, but yeah, just for the uh, the viewers or listeners, you know, Adam is, you know, you're not just a good friend and, and, you know, very long time friend, but you're one of the sharpest litigators I've worked with. And um, yeah, really happy to see you have this platform and happy to join you today. Thanks, Ryan. So, so let's th set the stage for our, lis our listeners a little bit. It's, it's 2013 and, and inside stuff about me, I had my second kid on the way and I had left my first firm of about seven years for the opportunity to join a very large law firm and a very large law firm salary, which appear, appeared to be a great idea at the time. Uh, but after about six months, the job was not for me. I knew it wasn't going to work, and uh, but but I needed to find a place. My wife wanted me out of the house, so I called up uh, our mutual friend Ivan Villarule, who's a, a principal at Safeguard, 
who I had worked with at, at my first firm. And I asked Ivan if he had an extra office that I could rent while, you know, while I was contemplating my next move. So, uh, you know, at that time, uh, in, in addition to being a managing agent for Safeguard, I believe you were, you were the office manager at the time. And I, and I had to, you know, on board with you. Um, and I don't believe we knew each other at all, really. So, so what I, do you I, I was, I was the, I was the young kid in the company at that time. And I mean, I was there 14 years ago, right out of undergrad. So, you know, I, I thought I knew nothing about computers and, and office management, but turned out I could be a value there as well. And, um, you know, entering the job market in, uh, in, in 09 was, was interesting and making yourself indispensable, I learned was, uh, was pretty critical. So really anything and everything I, I could take on, I, I did. Um, and yeah, you're right. That included not just, you know, managing, you know, I think I, I was brought on to asset manage one distressed, um, failed condo conversion, uh, in the financial district, um, ended up from there kind of seeping into company operations and, and taking on, you know, 10, 20, up to 30 properties, office management, IT management. So it got pretty interesting. And when you joined, I think things got, you know, a lot more fun and interesting. You might've, you know, gotten, gotten more than you expected out of, uh, coming and joining Ivan and, and the rest of us at Safeguard, but it was a really fun time. Those, the, that short time that we overlapped there. Right. So, I mean, I, I, it wasn't my intention to launch my own practice at the time, but I, I showed up on the first day and you had a beautiful sign, Law Offices of Adam Lindenbaum, waiting for me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was yep, great. That's Ivan. That's classic Ivan. Yeah. He, he, he liked having a in-house lawyer, I think. <laughs> and, and just a people pleaser by nature. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, you know, what do you remember about that time? You know, how did, how did having me in the office change your business? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was great to, you know, yeah. take you out to lunch and, you know, our, our lunches were pretty, uh, pretty epic. That was kind of a staple of safeguard culture. Um, you know, we, we, we worked really hard. We went to all the buildings every week. We probably spent more time in the field, you know, like I do now, like a lot of operators and managers do. You know, we spent a lot of time, you know, out at the buildings, everywhere from, you know, mostly in, in Brooklyn, Upper Manhattan, a little bit in the Bronx, but, you know, Long Island, upstate New York, New Jersey, we ended up taking on a, a really large um, New Jersey portfolio, which probably laid some of the groundwork for um, what I ended up doing. Um, but, you know, we always loved kind of getting together in the office or, or at lunch with the team and it really was a, a phenomenal culture that I have not um, experienced at any other at any other company. So you know, very special place, and everyone kind of brought their own, you know, interesting element to that dynamic. And 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 you were no different. But I mean, just practically, I, I don't think I really knew you before you joined us in the office. I think you were at Warshaw at the time, right? Uh, you know, so we worked a little bit. Um, but, you know, that's mostly, you know, that's phone calls, emails, maybe getting together a bit in court uh, if the occasion arises. But, you know, having you join, it, it, it was great, you know, and I, I, I hadn't, um, yeah, I, I, it, it was great to have the attorney kind of right there. Um, it, it's amazing how frequently you need an attorney's perspective in this business. Um, so to have it kind of two doors down was pretty special. Yeah. And just so you know what it did for me, I mean, it was a tremendous boost to my confidence as a lawyer because, you know, I had written, 
you know, really complex briefs and argued motions and appeals. But, you know, to know that I had what it took to be a day to day advisor for a, re a real real estate company, um, that that was a tremendous boost that I could I could offer practical legal advice on an as needed basis, you know, to, to, to guide a company in its real estate operations. It really laid the groundwork for, for me to be able to do that for, for more clients, you know, as I've developed at RE. Yeah, and I'm not sure when you made your first investment as a principal, but I made my first several and actually formed Invel um, while I was there um, and, and kind of branched out shortly thereafter and, and you know, really uh, focused on developing Invel and building the portfolio. But I think it was certainly synergistic in that way, um, in that you were certainly an asset to, you know, a company that certainly didn't have, you know, in-house counsel. Um, and really outsourced anything and everything legal. Um, but for you as well to kind of be entrenched in a company that is handling operations and acquisitions all day, every day, you know, I could see that as, as being synergistic. Well, your entrepreneurial spirit definitely rubbed off on me because not too long after I joined r &E, I said, oh, I, could, I could be like Ryan. And, and I went out and got my first investment property, which, you know, you, you give advice all day as a lawyer and, and it seems easy, but when it's your own money on the line, you know, you're not always as sure of your, of your taking your own advice. And, uh, you were, you were great in, um, uh, showing up to closing with me and, and onboarding all the, all the accounts that had a transfer over, uh, and help me see, you know, things from the business side. It was, uh, another huge boost in, in my confidence and development as a lawyer, I think, to be able to see the business side of, of the deal. Yeah, for my partners, it's always great to be there from day one. And, you know, it's definitely an honor that, you know, in your case, as a principal, um, I was kind of there to help again in some small way. Um, but, you know, you identified the property and you did kind of, you know, take the lead. And you're right, as much as, you know, having good help and good advisors and, and good, you know, third party vendors is very important that you're right. There's nothing like being a principal. Um, and without without experiencing it, it's it's probably hard to capture, um, but yeah, there there's there's nothing quite like it, and and it can be pretty wonderful. It can be taxing, yeah. <laughs> uh, as anyone watching this, I'm sure uh, is is familiar um, on the principal side, but it can be very rewarding as well. So let's talk about about your origins. You know, you study real estate even at the undergraduate level, uh, which I think is is rare. You know, what drew you the field of study? Yeah, it's it's you're right. It's rare. You don't hear about real estate degrees, or you probably do now more than you did then. But um, well, the Shack School at NYU is is famous, but that's a grad didn't, level. didn't exist at the time. Actually. Right. Um, yeah, I I you know was drawn to real estate from a very early age. Um, I had no family in real estate. I still have no family in real estate. Um, I'm I'm doing everything to keep my family out of real estate for their own uh, for their own sake. But uh, I was drawn to real estate literally from the time I was a little kid. I remember, you know, seeing buildings and just being mesmerized and, and curious and, um, you know, crossing over the bridges into, into Manhattan and just being mesmerized and kind of wanting in, you know. Um, so I think I, I knew early on if I had any direction going into undergrad, you know, which I, I, I don't think I had much, but I kind of already knew that... Um, that, that real estate was something I had a lot of interest in. Um, so I went into the real estate program at Baruch, which is, you know, a really phenomenal program. And I think, um, 
I, I, honestly, one of the best in the city. Um, and I did want to stay in the city. Uh, you know, I, I kind of I applied elsewhere, but for many reasons, including financial reasons, you know, I, I kind of, you know, limited my search to uh, to NYC in New York State. But NYC, particularly because I wanted work experience while I was in college, which I ended up, you know, going out and, and getting as much as I could. Um, and yeah, I, I tried to meet as many people in the field as I could. I, um, I, I was one of the earliest members of the real estate, uh, club in the undergraduate program at, um, at Baruch college ended up becoming the president of the undergraduate real estate club. And that was a great networking opportunity. And, um, yeah, eventually got, got really fortunate to, uh, find that job at Safeguard, which, you know, you know, uh, it, a lot of people I'm sure remember, but in, um, middle of 09 was the worst possible time to, uh, to go out and, and, and try to find employment. So, right. That was the collapse of Lehman and all that, that whole era. That's right. And, and it's a very strange piece of my origin story, um, which is that while, you know, thousands of people were kind of losing, um, their employment at Lehman, I was kind of brought on to Lehman's payroll um, to asset manage a, uh, a distressed, um, uh, it, it was not REO at the time, but it was headed that way. Um, that was the one I mentioned before. Um, but that that was something that kind of felt uh, conflicting in a sense that, you know, all these, you know, you just had tremendous job losses at Lehman and, and I was kind of coming on to Lehman's payroll at that time. It was a very strange experience. Um, but yeah, to, to get that job was very lucky, very fortunate and ended up being tremendous in, um, just giving me real estate operational knowledge and a cursory knowledge of, you know, capital markets and, and financing, um, yeah, so you, you really wait. You really wasted no time. You 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 were in undergrad, started with Safeguard, decided to uh, go for your MBA, all all pretty much at the same time. And and while you were at Safeguard, you you founded Invel while you were there. That's right. That's right. I was at Safeguard for about two years um, before I went back to school at NYU. I actually applied to Shack before it was Shack, and I got rejected. Uh, it was the School of Continuing and Professional Studies, I believe, at that time, and I you know just didn't have. I think the average um, uh, person enrolling had about 15 years of experience, and I had one. So they made the right they made the right call there. Um, and then, so I waited a couple months and applied to Stern, uh, which didn't have a real estate program at the time. But it was for me, it was kind of between that and Columbia. And Columbia did not have a part time program, and that was critical for me. Uh, I had to be part time because I did not have the ability or desire to leave the workforce. Um, so again, very fortunately got into Stern's part-time program and started there um, in 2011 after about two years at Safeguard. So, so tell us about the, 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 the birth of Invel. You know, well, first of all, what does the name mean and, and, and who's, who, who's in Invel with you? Yeah, so it started at, at NYU actually. My partner, uh, also Adam, Adam Zabo, um, was my classmate and quickly became a friend. And, uh, you know, I, the more we talked, the more we realized we had very similar goals and, um, and a, a shared desire to build a real estate, uh, firm and to build a portfolio. 
And, um, you know, he and I kind of partnered up and canvassed the entire NYC Metro, um, I'd say excluding Manhattan, just because it was kind of, you know, hard to, as hard as it is to break in anywhere. Um, you know, we saw a lot of potential. This I'm, I'm, this is 2013. Um, you know, we were both kind of wrapping up at NYU and saying, okay, now we have our, we have our chance if we're going to, you know, make the leap, let's do it. Um, so we canvassed really everywhere and identified Hudson County. Uh, so that's, you know, Hoboken, Jersey City, Union City. Um, identified Hudson County as a market that had tremendous fundamentals, um, similar fundamentals to, you know, some of the really hot areas of Northern Brooklyn or, or Western Queens that were really coming up, but there was a major uh, pricing lag. There was a value disconnection. There was a sophistication uh, disconnect. Um, so we could just, you know, find much better cap rates, better, you know, better price per pound on similar assets with similar fundamentals and, you know, transit access and, you know, cool local scenes. Um, so we kind of targeted that as a strategy and really since our origin, we've been a strategy based opportunistic investment firm. Um, we closed our first acquisition in 2014. It was a union city property that was fairly distressed. Um, the owner was in the middle of litigation with some of the tenants and we kind of sized it up and between the basis and, um, you know, preliminary, um, uh, you know, kind of underwriting of the risk and, and, you know, likely outcomes of, of, of that whole situation, um, felt like we were, you know, getting in at, at a pretty good basis and it was mostly our own capital. Um, we brought in one person to invest with us in that deal. So just for uh, a, a friend or a family member? NYU. It was another NYU student. Um, and, and we did, we did a very similar structure on our next couple deals. Um, that deal ended up doing really well. The, um, litigation situation, uh, ended up working out in our favor. Uh, it was actually a rent control related dispute, uh, very funky situation. Actually, it was, um, it was two buildings that, um, that together took the property over what would be the rent control threshold, but individually would not, um, right. It was three units and one unit. So they held it was commonality of, of ownership and management such, such that it should be viewed as one. I, I yeah, probably uh, not as well articulated, uh, but yeah, that was the that was the notion. Yeah, and I think the um, the owner got spooked and just wanted to offload it. But we you know studied the rent control ordinance and you know it specifically this is probably getting into way more granular detail than anyone needs to hear. But we studied the ordinance and and we said you know. It, what we found in there was that basically, number one, um, it, it, the language was plain and clear, and you can cut all this out. I know it's too much detail, but you know it stated uh, rent control is on a building basis, so it does you know rent control should not apply to X build you know X unit buildings as opposed to properties as opposed to tax parcels, um, and there was precedent. So we found precedent in a case uh, relating to a building in Hoboken where a very similar situation I think was three and three. And the court there found that um, that the property should be exempt. This is without a lawyer, you know. Right. Well, that's the kind of diligence we do for our clients all the time. Right. And, right. and tell, I mean, you, you already knew about the claim because your your seller was in litigation. But 
those are the kinds of risks that we try to identify all day right. long. I, I would never do that deal again today, just right. to be clear. I mean, we needed to get in and, you know, we bought this property for $455,000 before credits. So it was something, you know, thankfully there were, you know, some banks that were willing to finance us. Um, so, you know, and it was our own money. So this right. is the kind of risk that we probably, you know, would not be looking to take in the types of deals that we're doing today, um, barring, you know, just a you know, very high degree of confidence and, and a basis kind of commensurate with the risk. But um, we spent many a night in, uh, in, in court um, with the rent leveling board and, and, the, um, and the office, um, rent control office. And I, I think after three hearings that went until I think, you know, 9 p.m. or so, ended up prevailing in that case. And, you know, we just made it our mission over the next several years, as long as as long as kind of, you know, the uh, opportunity lasted to buy as many properties as we could of similar profiles. So below rent, con below rent control thresholds in these markets where, you know, there was fundamental value and a, a value disconnect. Um, we tried to buy off market, we tried to buy direct, but, you know, ended up working with a lot of brokers. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't JLL or CB or Cushman. It was more often, you know, smaller mom and pop brokers who, you know, certainly know the business, but there's not necessarily the same exposure. We weren't competing against every New York investor as we would be if we were buying in Brooklyn or elsewhere, uh, you know, in, in what were considered, considered the hotter sub markets. Right. So, so is Hudson County still a sweet spot for you? Where, where, well, you know, yeah, where, I, where, where's Invel looking today? Sure. So yeah, that, that strategy kind of, I would say expired in uh, around 2018. So we bought, I'd say two or three deals a year between 14 and 18, uh, put together a nice portfolio of those smaller buildings. By 2018, you know, the pricing had kind of caught up with us and those bigger players were entering the market, both, you know, brokers and investors were entering Hudson County and kind of, you know, taking a lot of that uh, arbitrage out of the equation. So, um, you know, we, we kind of pivoted and, and we decided to start selling. And in 2018, we did start selling. Of that portfolio, we sold the last two last year in 2022. Um, and that portfolio did really well. Um, but what we ended up pivoting to, I, I think, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, we're a strategy-based um, opportunistic investment firm. And the next strategy that we identified was stemming from the fact that we were usually looking at heavier value add deals. And that was kind of, you know, the mantra it kind of still is, is you want to see value add, right? But what we were seeing is that value add was not pricing uh, the way it was, the way it should be, you know, it was not pricing efficiently. Um, and particularly, it was not rewarding the purchaser for the risk. It was kind of, you know, you went from a dynamic where you'd buy a value add property at, you know, a five cap and, and you'd aim to lift it up to six and a half, seven cap. And you started seeing value add deals kind of, you know, pricing in three caps because, hey, there's all this upside. Um, the problem with that for us is that all that upside is then accruing to the seller by way of, you know, the purchase price. And, you know, we have, we've, you know, financing risk, we have, you know, downtime, we have construction risk, there's a lot of work involved. Um, so, you know, that's great if you can, if everything goes perfectly, but it, it doesn't leave much margin. And it doesn't create much, um, much compensation or incentive for the risk and for the work involved. And at the same time, we would see deals, you know, 
sometimes fully marketed deals, um, you know, hitting our inbox. And, and it was the kind of thing that, you know, conventional wisdom at the time is, you know, okay, no, that's, that's, that's a core opportunity. That's, you know, that's a newer build. That's, you know, what you'd call class A. What could there possibly be to do there? What value could you create? You know, you're not going to renovate something that just mm -hmm. delivered. Um, so, and property wasn't really old enough to have, you know, deferred maintenance to fix or, or, you know, litigation to, uh, to, to develop, to work out. And, and so, you know, these deals just seemed simpler and, and, you know, where's the juice. Um, but the more we looked at it, yeah. So what's the, what's the ideal size of acquisition that you're targeting these days? Right? Oh, today? Yeah. Well, a lot has changed right now. We're really not looking at anything below 25 million. Oh, okay. So that's good. So, so your your equity uh, sourcing has has changed too. You've brought on investors. It has, yeah. We've really run the spectrum. You know, it started with uh, with some friends, and you know, as we made some money, we started actually just uh, Adam and me kind of putting our own capital into deals. You know, not even having investors. But yeah, when we made that pivot, we realized you know scale would become pretty important. Um, so yeah, we we did really everything from syndications, you know, just more investors. I think the most we've had in a deal was probably about 15 or 18 investors. Um, to now, I think just about everything we're doing is institutional equity. Yeah. How have you handled the, the that kind of growth? That, that kind it's of been good. I, mean, I You know, it hasn't really been that difficult because whether we realized it or not, you know, we were kind of running our properties in what we'd consider an institutional way you know, very kind of um, defined processes and reporting, you know, very transparent in communications and reporting. Um, so, you know, and I, we've kind of developed the relationships over our respective times in the real estate industry. So, you know, relationships, communication, um, these are the important elements in, uh, in a good JV, uh, in a good, you know, operating partner, capital partner, um, you know, uh, relationship. So, um, so it hasn't been, it hasn't been that hard. And again, you know, similar to on, on the debt financing front, we've been very fortunate to have, uh, a number of institutional capital partners that have, you know, wanted to partner with us and kind of seen the opportunity of the strategies we're, you know, pursuing. So, uh, you know, it's been good. I, I think, uh, you know, our, our biggest challenge is kind of sourcing quality deals, right. You know, underwriting them is you know, not a challenge that's kind of, you know, everything's a challenge. I, I'd say it's not, it's not something that we're not, uh, that, that we're having any issue solving for. Um, I, I think our biggest bottleneck is just finding quality deals. Once we do find um, what, what we consider a quality deal, underwriting it, sizing it up, walking it, capitalizing it. These are processes that I think we have, you know, pretty, pretty well boxed in. So I'd venture to say that that's your major advantage over a lot of others in the field, that that you have those those equity relationships to to, to bank on, you know, and, and build up that trust that when the investor knows that you say go, that it's something worthwhile to jump for. That's right. We don't send a ton of deals to our partners. You know, our, our partners might go, you know, months without seeing anything from us. And it doesn't mean we're not busy and pounding the pavement and, you know, underwriting 100 deals and, and touring. My partners are in the Bronx right now, uh, touring something. I was actually, I was going to join, but then the time changed and I couldn't kind of manage them both. But 
Well, we appreciate um, you keeping your schedule. Today. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to have priorities, but that's also, you know, well, you've got to have a team. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and then we're, you know, we're back. Um, we're back up. We're going to be in upstate New York on Thursday. And then we're actually, I think we have something tomorrow. And so, again, we're, we're out in the field more days than we're not. Um, and we're, you know, underwriting and walking these deals and negotiating these deals constantly. And it's very rare um, just in terms of, you know, relative to the sheer number of deals that we have to look at, it's very rare for one to make sense. So, um, yeah, for, I, I would say that that's correct. That usually for us to pick up the phone and, and send something along, there's probably something there. Yeah. So, so what, what concerns do you have about the real estate industry, you know, in the near future, long-term future? Yeah, I probably don't have, uh, too much unique to add, yeah. uh, to, there, I mean, of course, you know, interest rates are kind of up in the air and it's been volatile, but, you know, it seems like things are kind of stabilizing and, you know, it, it's, it's been my sense really for as long as um, rates have been front and center that more important than where rates end up is just that they kind of end up somewhere. You know, you cannot really make deals reliably. You can't size up real estate reliably in a market where you just had a 75 basis point increase and you may have another 75 basis point increase in, in, you know, in a short time. So, you know, things are stabilizing, of course, a lot higher than they were in very recent memory, but um, stability is really the important thing there. And it seems that at least on the rate front, um, we're out of that period of volatility, which made it just next to impossible as a seller, as a buyer, um, to transact, you know, it, it and, and we've, we've been transacting less, of course, than we'd like. Um, but, you know, rates, rates have kept things interesting for the past year and a half. Um, of course, just, you know, the general economy, you hear a lot of noise um, every different way, good, bad, and indifferent as far as, you know, where the economy's headed. And, you know, I, I won't comment, but of course, you know, things happen and there are cycles in this business and you just have to be well positioned. I think going into, um, going into a property with, you know, a, a hope that, that valuations just keep going up, you know, sometimes that works out for people. It does not work for us as, as a business plan. So just, you know, insulating yourself with a really good basis on every deal and a really solid business plan, um, kind of, you know, uh, protects us and gives us comfort from general, you know, macro risk. We also, everything that we have is in, NYC Metro, um, not actually in New York City. We call it the donut around New York City. So we right. own in Westchester. We've owned in, in Connecticut, but the vast majority of what we have owned and own today is in Northern Jersey. Um, and I would add to that Central Jersey and Philly to kind of round out our sandbox. Um, so it's all, you know, urban and suburban transit oriented um, in, in major markets. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that we think um, are, 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 you know, insulating us a bit from macro risk. Um, you know, we're thankful every day that we're not in certain sectors within real estate or, or even certain markets uh, and that our construction risk these days, construction exposure is fairly limited. We're in a few uh, development deals. But, so looking uh, back over the, the 10 plus years that you've been, you know, managing Invel, is there a particular acquisition or, or deal that you're proud of or, or look back as uh, as a success story for your career? It's it's really hard to single out one. Or have you uh, fallen in love? 
committed the, the fatal sin of uh, falling in love with one of your deals? Um, it's hard not to, right? They say don't get emotional yeah. uh, about, a, uh, about a deal, but it's impossible, at least for me. Um, you know, I agree with it. It, it makes for good decision making. Um, you do have to be willing to walk away. You can love a deal to death and you can have everything to gain by, um, by making a deal that, you know, we found that you have to be willing to walk away, um, at a certain point. But, um, no, I mean, to answer your question, every single deal, I kind of, you know, I look back on fondly or, you know, the ones that we're in now, we're very optimistic and everything we're in is performing really well. Um, and they all have their stories. We're very hands-on. So we're involved in just about everything that's, that's happening operationally. Um, so there's always, you know, fun surprises, we'll say, uh, mm -hmm. popping up in our business and, um, you meet a ton of characters. You see a lot of crazy stuff. You never stop learning. You never stop getting surprised. Um, True. So it's, it's uh, unfortunately, I'd love to give you an answer, but um, I probably spent too much time on the Union City deal, but uh, <laughs> uh, fond memories of, of all of them. Move onward. That's the key. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of our listeners are, are lawyers or, or people who rely on lawyers in, in their day-to-day -day operations. Um, what are the qualities that you seek uh, in your counsel relationships? Yeah, I mean, you know, any attorney we've used has been, you know, an organic relationship or, you know, word of mouth. Um, so, you know, knowing that, you know, someone that, that we trust and respect, um, you know, has, has, has had great experience with an attorney, that's kind of a good starting point. Um, but we've, you know, we end up working with a lot of attorneys, um, and I'd say, you know, where, where things, um, really kind of, uh, kind of, kind of excel is where, you know, there's, there's good communication, trust, of course, you know, um, you know, the competence and just the approach is super important with you. We have all of the above and, you know, it's definitely been an honor to work with you on a number of, a, a number of things that you've helped us with, uh, and to have you as a resource. But I'm, you know, I would just say frame it in, 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 in that context, what, what we've loved about working with you is not just, you know, we have an incredible working dynamic, but you see things as a principal, as well as, uh, as a lawyer, and you kind of need to have both. And, and you have not only the, the breadth, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, legal, uh, knowledge and experience, uh, and the sharpness situationally to kind of, you know, get to the bottom of things and, and you know, and, and, you know, th that whole angle, but also on the business front, you know, you have to be deal-making, you have to be creative, you have to be outside the box. That's critical. You know, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all running a business and, um, and, and I, I think, um, there's a lot to be gained by, by being creative and kind of, you know, seeing beyond the obvious. So, you know, we've, we've loved, uh, you know, Certainly, with you, you kind of see things both as uh, as a very good lawyer, but also as as a business person, a practical person, and a you know a deal maker. Thank you, Ryan. So when when that law office of Adam Lindenbaum sign was was being hung, I I, I couldn't imagine we'd be here today. Couldn't imagine what a podcast was even right. Right. Um, so so here we are. You know, uh, not rookies in our respective careers anymore, um, and, and we're we're trying to put the good word out about both of our companies. Um, who do you want this podcast to reach? 
I would say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine it reaching uh, any of the wrong people. I don't think there are any wrong people for it to reach. Um, you know, always happy to talk to, to good people, whether it's other principals, um, you know, brokers and deal flow sources, investors or capital partners. We're always happy to talk. Exactly. So, yeah, and, and all comers. All right. Well, we'll, we'll put your, your um, contact information in the description for people to reach out to you, to That's Invel, fine. to see if there's a synergy between your businesses and uh, with R&E, with Invel directly, whatever it is, we're always happy to introduce people who have been important to us along the way and, and wish them a lot of success in their, in their businesses going, going forward. All right. Can't Bye thank you enough, Ryan. All right. It was a lot Appreciate of fun it. to catch up with you. Thanks, Adam. Keep it up.